that is feeling more distant, God is closer than you think. Good morning, Journey. I'm so excited when we can all get together, but I love that we get to be online. Uh, Several years ago, there was a woman that showed up here at the church, and she wanted to visit with me a little bit about her experience. She had just come to our church for the very first time and wanted to talk with me about that. At the time, I did not know her, uh, but this day was going to be a very interesting day for me. As she came into my office and began to talk about first, about how it was that she came to know Jesus. And she shared about a horse accident that she was in where a horse crushed her and she died. And she died, and she spent time after that with Jesus. Now, I know that there are people out there that I have barely even started this sermon, and your skepticism radar is going off right now. You're just thinking, I don't know about this. It's okay. If you don't buy into near-death experiences, that's not the point of what I want to share with you. But I want to share with you a few things that she shared with me about her experience of Jesus Whether you believe it or not, the things that she said resonated in my heart. I thought, that's what I've always thought he was like. And I won't go into it in great detail. It's a detailed story. But the things that grabbed my attention, there were some very serious and sobering moments with Jesus. But one thing that she said captured my attention. She said, Jesus was fun. It was so fun to be with him. And I just thought, I've always thought Jesus was fun. And here's what captured her. She grew up in a Jewish home with atheistic parents, so she never knew anything about Jesus. That was her first encounter or understanding of who Jesus was. So when she showed up here at Journey, it was the first time that she had ever chosen to attend a Christian church. And she said, I was only there in the middle of the second song. She said, I so wanted to just run out Not because she didn't like what was happening, but because she loved what was happening. She said during the second worship song, she said, I wanted to run out because I was sobbing uncontrollably as I listened to people sing about the Jesus that I love. And she said, Bob, then you got up on stage, and I don't remember what it was that I did, but she said that I laughed and I smiled. And she said, you looked fun. And that made me think, He knows Jesus. That encounter with her has caused me to ask that question over and over. Do people believe that Jesus is fun? Do you believe that Jesus is fun? Do you think God is fun? Go with me here, just for a little bit. Can you imagine in your heart of hearts, God laughing? Can you imagine 
God smiling. Can you imagine that God might sometimes have a smirk and a smile and a little bit of a head shake when he looks at some of the things that his kids are doing here on earth? Friends, sometimes I believe we so misunderstand God. We have this picture sometimes that he is grim and grumpy, and all he is is angry and judgmental. He's defensive, he's exclusive, he's boring. I don't believe that that's true. Now, before I go any further, I wanna say this. We believe God is holy. He is majestic. He is worthy of our revere, our reverence, and our worship. But I want us to think a little bit today about the reality, I believe, that God is also very personal and he is the most joyful being, person, that we have ever known. And you may not even know this, but we have core values around here at Journey Church. And one of our core values is fun. We believe in fun around here. And it's not because we don't Think that what we're doing around here is serious business because it is. But we want to have fun. And here is why. Because we believe that God is fun. And we believe that we bear his image. So the reality that we love humor. (laughs) Did somebody say fun? (laughs) Woo! America, we beat the virus, right? Uh, uh, That's what we're talking about today. We beat uh, the virus. Brian, we have not beat what? the virus yet. We you have know, not beat the virus, the virus yet? yet. But you're talking about celebration, Bob. We are definitely talking about celebration, but we have not beat the virus yet. Um, oh my gosh, where do you go from there? Yeah. Uh, okay. Brian, we love you. We love you. Friends, if there is anybody that's around Journey that... We're going to beat the virus. Social (laughs) distance, social distance, sorry. (laughs) If there's anybody on our staff that embodies our value of fun, it's Brian Van Epps. But we believe that the reason that we want to be fun is that we bear the image of God. And we know that in us, there's this belief and this hunger for joy. We love to laugh. We love to have fun. And we believe that that is just a reflection of the God who made us. The key verse, the theme verse for this series is James 4, 8 that says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Our desire to actually pursue God, to want to draw near to him, will reflect our belief of what he is like, how we view him. Do we really believe that God is the most joyful person? I believe that right now, in this moment, our God, who embodies joy, understands our need as a church and as a culture for joy. We have a need for joy. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. How do we cultivate that heart of joy? How do we cultivate that heart of celebration? Paul, the apostle Paul, is gonna teach us that today. He's gonna teach us how to celebrate. He's gonna teach us how to have joy, how to laugh, how to have fun.
But here's what you need to understand. We're gonna be stepping into the very end of the book of Philippians. And I've got to paint you the picture of the context of what is happening with Paul in the book of Philippians. Because if there was ever a time in any person's life that they would be bummed out and angry, not a person of joy, it would be Paul when he writes Philippians. Paul finds himself in a Roman prison. Now, Paul, he's been in prison before. He's been beaten. He's been deserted by his friends and his coworkers. He's been through shipwrecks. He's been through storms. He's been through starvation. 30 years of ministry. And if you would imagine if there was any time for Paul to shake his fist at God and say, come on, God, can you cut me a break? I've given everything in my life to you. Why are you not here for me now? If there was ever an opportunity for someone to complain, it would be Paul when he wrote Philippians. But what do we see? What do we see in the text? We see nothing of the kind. We see a book that is about rejoicing. Paul calling us to celebrate. Paul calling us to have fun, to celebrate, to enjoy God and who he is. The first thing that Paul's gonna teach us in the book of Philippians in, in terms of how we grow and cultivate that heart of celebration is he's gonna tell us that we need to figure out how to cultivate that heart of celebration. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four, it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Two big ideas that Paul is trying to help us see there. This idea of rejoicing, I'll say it again, rejoice. Be happy, have fun. And this other idea that the Lord is near. As I was studying this, the question that came to my mind is how do those two relate to one another? Is it that we rejoice because we realize that the Lord is near? Is it our response to that truth? Or could it also be true that the Lord moves toward rejoicing. The Lord comes near to those that are rejoicing, that are laughing, that are enjoying him. You know what I think the answer is? I think the answer is yes. I think it's both of those things. And here's what I wanna contend today. And I'm gonna say it in a way that I think will probably make a few of you a little bit uncomfortable. God likes to party. God likes to have fun. Now, before you tune me out, let me make my case. When we go all the way back to the Old Testament, we see that the Lord set aside these celebrations, these feasts, these opportunity for his people to come together, eating, drinking, singing, dancing, spending time together with people that they loved, enjoying him. They were reverent, yes, they put their focus on God, who he was, and they were remembering the things that God had done for them, but they celebrated. Our God is a God who wants to have fun. Let's look at the life of Jesus. When God shows up on this earth, what do we see in the life of Jesus? He was always showing up at a party. I love it that the very first miracle of Jesus takes place at a wedding in Cana. 
You remember the story. What had happened? They had run out of wine. It was going to be a catastrophe. The party was going to be over. Jesus' first big blast onto the scene was to turn a massive amount of water into a massive amount of wine to keep the party going. And think about this. I think Jesus was fun because if you're not fun, you don't get invited to parties. Jesus was fun. Let me talk a little bit about who Jesus celebrated with. It wasn't the high and the mighty of his day. It was the tax collectors. It was what the scriptures call notorious sinners. Not just your run-of-the-mill sinners, notorious sinners, prostitutes. Those were people that Jesus was willing to celebrate with. In Matthew chapter 11, it tells us that Jesus got a reputation. And one of his reputations was that he was a glutton and a drunkard because of who it was that he hung out with. Jesus celebrated. Now, let me make this 100% absolutely clear. Jesus did not sin. When I say that he was at parties, Jesus did not sin, but he celebrated. He absolutely celebrated. And if that makes you uncomfortable, me saying that Jesus was at parties, just read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Look at the story of Jesus. Find out where it was that he was showing up. He knew how to celebrate. And you know what? You know what Jesus is doing right now? He is still in the celebration business. There's a story, three parables that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15 about things that were lost. And Jesus made it so clear when he was here on earth. His goal, his mission statement was, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He had a heart for lost things. So in Luke 15, he tells this story about three lost things, a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And here's what he said about the lost coin. When a coin gets lost, you drop everything and you go and you find it. He talked about a sheep and he said, even if you've got a hundred sheep, if one of them gets lost, you leave the 99 and you go after the one because lost things matter. And he told the, told the story of a lost son, a story that we often call the prodigal son. And there was that day when the son came home, when the lost became found. But here's why I wanted to share those three stories. There's a way that every one of those stories ends. How do those stories end? They end in a party. Jesus says there is more rejoicing in heaven going on when one sinner repents that comes back to me, then 99 who are gathered together, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, every one of those stories ends in the biggest celebration ever. It's almost like heaven is looking down, watching what is happening here, just waiting for hearts to turn to Jesus, to make that decision, to bow their knee to him, to make him the king of their life. And they're just waiting because they want to rejoice in that. And friends, I don't imagine the kind of rejoicing that we're talking about, that Jesus is talking about in heaven, is some kind of a little golf clap. I'm imagining they're raising the roof. Brian, raising the roof. I, I know when I go home, my kids are gonna say, please dad, never, never dance on stage again. Promise me you'll never dance. 
I'm gonna ask you to do something, Journey, that I almost never do. I know that there are people out there during all of this quarantine stuff that have been binge-watching things. I'm gonna ask you to binge-watch something. There is a show out there on YouTube called The Chosen. It is a dramatic series about the life of Christ, and there's kind of a uniqueness with how they tell the story. It isn't just a simple telling of the gospel narratives. The writers actually weave in fictitious stories about the backstories of those people that followed Jesus. And I'm not trying to equate anything that happens in this with scripture, but here's why I want you to watch it. When I watched this, they portrayed Jesus as fun. He laughed, he smiled, he joked, he had a sense of humor. I loved the way he interacted with kids. And I'll just be absolutely honest, I cried my way through most of that movie. Every time that I saw Jesus engaging in that way, it moved my heart. Friends, Jesus is fun. Jesus is a God who celebrates. The second thing that Paul wants us to understand, if we're gonna learn to celebrate, we've got to grow your gratitude. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse six. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but what? This is what he tells us to do. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here's the result. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul wants us to understand. The good life, this life of joy, this life of rejoicing that he's talking about, it doesn't begin when our circumstances change. It begins when we change our attitude about our circumstances. He says there's prayer and petition. He says present your request to God. There's gonna be lots of times in our life when we're gonna say, God, I need you. Help me. Will you show me what to do? I need you to show up. Present your request to God, everything by prayer and petition. But what he's saying right in the middle, with thanksgiving, he's saying put an umbrella of gratitude over everything that you do. God is saying simply say thank you. Gratitude is just this simple mindfulness of all the benefits that you have in life. And it's incredible. Studies show that there's amazing things that happen in the lives of grateful people. Incredible positive effects. Grateful people, the study says, tend to be more empathetic and forgiving of others. People that actually take the time to do a gratitude journal that they write down each day the things that they're grateful for, they have an incredibly more positive outlook on life. Grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, less materialism, less less self-centeredness. It's almost like it takes their life from being turned inward and it turns it outward toward others and not only brings joy to their heart, but brings joy to others. Gratitude improves self-esteem, enhances relationships, enhances sleep, and actually leads to a longer life. If this were a vaccine, friends, this would be God's miracle cure in COVID-19. Gratitude. Can we pause and be thankful? This is God's therapy for us, gratitude. 
But friends, here's what often happens. I want you to think about this piece of paper up here as your life. And I'm gonna make a dot on this piece of paper. And this dot are the challenges in your life. This dot is the pain and the suffering in your life. And now some of you, I know you're saying out there, well, Bob, you don't know what's going on in my life. That dot is way too small. I've got way more challenges, struggles in my life. We can make the dot bigger. It doesn't matter the size of the dot, but here's what I want us to understand. It is our natural inclination. When we think about our life, our attention is always drawn to those challenges. If I were to say, what do you see here? You'd say, I see a black dot. We tend to be focused in in this way. We can't see everything else in life. We tend to focus on the hurt and the pain and the challenge of life. What Paul is telling us is that gratitude is moving away from this. It's beginning to zoom out and to see our life as a whole. And gratitude is that opportunity for us to say thank you for all the other areas of life that we are experiencing. We pray, we ask God for things, but we do it with gratitude. If you wanna be an anxious person, if you wanna be a depressed person, if you wanna be a cynical person, if you wanna live your life in negativity, then just get dialed in on this. Never take the opportunity to step back and see all the other things that God is doing in and around your life. I wanna just give you a couple application points that I think can be helpful to start to cultivate this heart of gratitude for you. Here's what I want you to think about. The next time that you're sitting with your family or with a group of friends and you've got a beverage in front of you, it can be water, it can be anything, I want you to take an opportunity with the people in your life to toast, to toast the beautiful things that are happening in your life that you would actually raise a glass and say thank you to God with your friends and clink the glasses together. Celebrate with one another all the things that God is doing. Cultivate that tangible heart of celebration. And I mentioned it earlier, but I think it's one of the most helpful things. Start a gratitude journal. Begin to think about, begin to reflect on, begin to write down all those things in your life that you're grateful for. Maybe it's one a day, maybe it's five a day, maybe it's 10 a day, but begin your day or close your day with an opportunity to reflect on all the things that God is doing in your life. It will change your focus from here to everything else. And that's what Paul wants us to understand is there's a lot of everything else for us to focus on. The third thing, that Paul is gonna tell us is that we need to think about our thoughts. You need to think about your thoughts. Here's what Paul says. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Paul's saying, think about your thoughts. Don't let thoughts just run in and out of your mind. You've got to think about your thoughts. 
And if there's anything, friends, that we've learned in the midst of this pandemic is that we can't control our circumstances. There are so many things that have been foisted upon our life that we had no control over, that is causing chaos in lots of areas in our life, in our culture that we had no control over. So many things in our circumstances we don't have control over, but I've got good news for you. You can control what you think about. You can pick what it is that you ponder. You get to choose what it is that your mind chews on. Think. Think about your thoughts. What's going on in my mind? Here's how the Apostle Paul said it to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is saying, every thought that is coming in and around your mind, take it captive, slap some handcuffs on it, hold it up to Jesus and ask him some questions about it. This thought that has been running around in my mind, is it true, is it noble, is it right? Another way to ask that question is, does this thought that I'm thinking, does it correspond to reality? And when I say reality, I'm not talking about reality as the world defines it or reality even as you define it. But does this thought correspond to the reality as God defines it? Would Jesus say, yes, that is true, that is noble, that is right? A second question that Paul wants us to think about is, is what I'm thinking, is it pure, is it lovely, is it admirable? Here's how I was thinking about this. If we could imagine that our thoughts could get projected up onto a screen and everyone around us could see the things that are happening in our heart and in our mind. Would that make you a little bit uncomfortable if your mama knew everything that you were thinking? Paul is saying, hold it up. Is that thought pure? Is it lovely? Is it worthy of being admired? And if it's not, get rid of it. And then finally, Paul says, is it excellent and praiseworthy? Can we take that thought and give God thanks and praise for the reality of having that thought running through our mind? And if the answer to any of those questions is no, we get rid of it. Maybe an even more simple way to think about what Paul's saying is to ask this question. When we hold a thought up to Jesus, we just say, Jesus, is this from you? Jesus, is this what you want to say to me? Jesus, is this what you want for me? We hold our thoughts Every one of them, we take them captive to make them obedient to Christ. And that's why, friends, we've been talking about all of the other spiritual disciplines, studying the word and praying, engaging with God so that we know the mind of God, so we can evaluate our thoughts with the mind of God. What do we hold on to? What do we reject? So that our heart begins to be more of the heart of God. If you want misery tomorrow, just start thinking about negative thoughts today. Assume the worst 
in everything that's going on in and around your life. Beat yourself up. Listen to all the lies out there about you. Rehearse your regrets. Take time to complain with complainers. If you wanna do that, you're gonna be in a mud pit of misery. Friends, our thoughts have consequences. That's why Paul is telling us, think, 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 think about your thoughts. It's God's heart for us. He wants us to cultivate a heart of celebration. He wants us to cultivate a heart of gratitude as we think about all the things that he's done in our life. And he wants us to be people who think about what they're thinking about. And it changes our hearts. It takes us to a place of joy. It takes us to a place of celebration. God wants that for us as individuals, but friends, he also wants that for us as a church, as a church family. Journey, what kind of a church family are we gonna be? I read the story about a famous speaker, Christian speaker, that was over in Hawaii. He flew over to Hawaii and the jet lag was getting to him. And so in the middle of the night, he couldn't sleep. He wanted some food. So he ended up going down to a greasy spoon diner at three o'clock in the morning. And as he was there, there was a group of about eight or nine prostitutes that came into that diner with him. And as he started to listen to their conversation, as they were recounting the things of their evening, he thought, I am so uncomfortable right now. And he was just thinking, I want to get out of here. As he started to listen to their conversation, one of them mentioned that she had a birthday the next day. But then one of her friends, kind of angrily and mean, said, what, do you want us to throw you a party? Do you want us to get you a cake? And the gal said, no, no, I, I've never had a birthday cake. I've never had a birthday party. I've never had a birthday cake. You don't need to make anything for me. And as that man was sitting there, it caused him to think about an idea, and he didn't leave. After those women left, he began to talk to the owner of the diner and he asked him, do they come in here every night? And he said, every night without fail, they come here. And he said, well, here's my idea. Can we throw a birthday party for that gal who has a birthday? Her name was Agnes. Can we throw a birthday party for Agnes? And Harry, the owner of the diner said, I love that idea. Let's do that. So they hatched this plan. The next night at two o'clock in the morning, they're celebrating. They're celebrating by putting uh, streamers up in the diner. They're making signs and they're baking a cake for Agnes. Agnes walked in right on time, three o'clock in the morning and saw everything that had been prepared for her. She just went weak in the knees as she saw this. And as they brought out the cake and they were singing happy birthday to her, she just began to weep uncontrollably. When they were done singing happy birthday, all the people around there started chanting to Agnes, cut the cake, cut the cake. And Agnes looked at her cake and she said, would it be okay if I just kept it? I've never had a birthday cake and I would like to keep it for a little while longer. And they said, well, Agnes, it's your cake. You can do with it whatever you want. So she took her cake and she walked out of the diner like she was holding the Holy Grail and walked out into the night. And the speaker that was there didn't know exactly what to do then, but he said, I just stood up on a chair and I just said, can we pray for Agnes? And so there with all of these 
friends and prostitutes from all over the city. He prayed for Agnes. And after everyone left, the owner of the diner came up to him and said, wait a minute. He was a little bit angry. He said, wait a minute. You didn't tell me that you were a preacher. He said, I want to know what kind of church are you a part of? And the speaker said, it was one of those times in life where the words came so quickly and so easily. I knew it was from God. He said, I'm the, I'm at the kind of church that throws parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. Journey, what kind of church are we going to be? Jesus never celebrated sin, but he celebrated people. He loved people. He was willing to move his life into the places that nobody else would go because he loved and wanted to celebrate people. Journey, what are people going to experience when we start to gather back together? When people walk into this auditorium, what are they going to feel? Are they going to feel the acceptance and the joy and the love of Jesus? I hope so. Journey, that's the kind of church we want to be. A church that is full of joy and is full of celebration. As Brian mentioned earlier, we get the opportunity to celebrate something incredibly special, communion. We get to celebrate the centrality of our faith the broken body of Jesus on our behalf, the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. Friends, if you're at your home online, wherever you're at, this would be the time for you to gather your elements together. And I wanna read to you Matthew's account of that last supper with Jesus. And then I'll give you some instructions. Here's what Jesus said. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it. All of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Journey family, this is what I want you to do. Even if you're by yourself there, what Jesus did is he broke the bread and he lifted up the cup and he gave thanks. Whatever group of people you're with, I want you to do this. I want you to cultivate that heart of gratitude, that heart of celebration that we're talking about. As you take the elements today, I want you to lift up the bread and lift up the cup and out loud with the people that you are with or out loud to God. If you're by yourself, give him thanks for something in your life that you are incredibly grateful for today. And I want to end with this because Jesus didn't end with those words that I just read to you. He ended with these. He said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Most commentators believe that what Jesus is referring to is that what we call the marriage feast of the lamb in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus is gonna gather everyone who chose to follow him in this life, who bowed their knee to him. Jesus is standing there right now waiting for a celebration, 
waiting for a party. He wants to clink glasses with you. He wants to celebrate you. Maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day that you quit running from him. And then you just say, Jesus, you're my king. I want to follow you with everything in my life. If that's you, say thank you to Jesus as you take communion for the body and his blood shed for you. Brandon's gonna lead us in worship now during a couple of songs and an opportunity for us wherever we're at to celebrate the Lord's table together. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.